Now turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through to 10. Let's hear the word of God. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. I've said many times, but it bears repeating. A most faithful and reliable translation of the Holy Scriptures. And it's not only good to hear the Word of God, I believe it's equally important to see it. Colossians 2, verse 1. For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, my text this morning is found in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 7. It reads, Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now, I've entitled the message again today, The Christian's Life and the Walk of Faith. This is really part two. Last Lord's Day, we focused on part one of this sermon. On that occasion, I told you that in connection with the preceding verses, chapter 2, 1 to 5, the Apostle Paul continues with a tremendous statement about the Christian's life and the walk of faith. The Colossians, like all true um, saved believers, receive Jesus Christ by faith as Lord and Savior. And all who have received Christ Jesus the Lord by faith they will also irresistibly walk in him. That is, they will live, they will walk, they will think, they will act and behave by faith. Remember the false teachers that were at work in Colossae. They were trying to minimize and set aside the Lord Jesus Christ with their clever philosophies. I don't believe they were probably denying Christ in an open, overt manner. That is, in an outward way. But they were saying, you also have to learn our secrets. You have to follow our rules. You have to worship angels. 
You have to understand these dreams and visions we have had. Um, Christ Jesus, it's good that you have him, but he's not enough. You, you need something more. You need what we have to offer. And of course, that's why in chapter 1, verses uh, 13, right through to verse 23, the apostle Paul has set forth the soul's sufficiency and absolute superiority and supremacy of Jesus Christ in the fullness of his person and work. You see, in Christ, we've been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Remember, he alone is the image of the invisible God. Remember, he's the firstborn of every creature. That is the source of all things. He created all things. By him, all things exist. By him, all things are held together. He's the head of the body, the church. And God's intention is that he has the preeminence in all things, that he is over all things. Because in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And even though we're all born guilty, hell-deserving sinners and hostile to God and alienated from him through wicked works, remember it was Jesus Christ who has reconciled us to God through his death and bloodshedding at Mount Calvary. This was the Christ that Paul preached and proclaimed. This was the Christ that their faithful pastor Epaphras had presented to the Colossian people. This was the Christ that the Colossians themselves had believed in and received by faith. This was the Christ who dwelt in their hearts by faith. See, the Apostle Paul is very concerned for their spiritual welfare. He doesn't want them to be taken in by false teachers. And he knows that the best way to do that is by exhorting them to go on walking in Christ, to, to avoid succumbing to the many false teachers and cults in our day. And if we, of course, strive to avoid falling into open and deadly sin, if we want to avoid drifting in spiritual apathy, then we must go on with this Christ that we've received, this one who is sufficient and supreme and superior. This is the very same one whom we receive by faith. Now, because we've received him by faith, we must Reveal him by faith. The last week we thought of the person whom we had received. We received him as Christ Jesus the Lord. We thought about the principle which he revealed. Thinking of the word received as an act of faith. And then we thought about the purpose which he referenced. So walk ye in him. Now today I want to move on. And here's the fourth point of that sermon, if I had preached it all last week. Think of the picture that is reinforced. That's really the fourth point. You see, in verse 7, the Apostle Paul uses four participles to elaborate on what the walk of faith looks like. Now, remember, he is writing to a faithful church. They've received Christ the Lord. It's under attack. It's been threatened by these false teachers. They're in danger of turning back and turning away from Christ. And Paul wants to encourage them. Keep on walking with Christ. But what does that look like? That's a good bit of advice, Paul. So walk ye in him. But what does that mean? It means this. It means walking on a path. It means being planted like a tree. It means like a building under construction. It means like 
being involved in a bank. It means like an overflowing river is to the grassland. Here's a picture of what Paul actually reinforces. Now, notice four things here in this picture that he reinforces. There's an agricultural aspect to the picture. To walk in Christ Jesus the Lord means being rooted in him. If you look at verse 7, it says rooted. The word rooted pictures a tree. We've already sang uh, Psalm 1 this morning. And uh, we have thought of the words there uh, in the uh, third verse. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doth shall prosper. And over in Isaiah 61 and in the verse 3 we read that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. You see, the word rooted, and I don't want to get technical this morning, is in the Greek New Testament in what we call a past perfect participle. And it really means a past action. You've got to think of an action that was done once and for all. Think of a tree that's planted in the soil. And yet, that very act of planting the tree has continuous results. So if I was to translate the word rooted in the Greek New Testament, it would read, you were, if I was paraphrasing it or amplifying it, you were and you are rooted in him. Or quite literally, having been firmly rooted in him. Now, let's go back to the analogy or the metaphor of the tree being planted. Remember, no tree can live and grow unless its roots are planted in the soil. Suppose I went down to the garden center there, went down to uh, Lonnie's and the um, St. Field Road, and I wanted to buy an apple tree. I want to plant it in the garden. So I bring it home and I set it outside in some soil and I look out the window at my apple tree and I even bring people along and say, isn't the apple tree lovely? Do you know you're going to get lovely apples from that? You'll come back someday and there'll be lovely apples growing in that tree. And there it is, say, sitting in the grass or, or sitting on top of the soil. Well, the children that would be with you, if they were, would go home and say, you know, Mr. McLaughlin's not very smart, mummy or daddy. Why? Well, the tree's just sitting on top of the soil. It's not going to grow. It must be planted in the soil. You see, the tree's roots must get its nutrients, it must get water and other goodness from the soil to grow and be a strong and healthy tree. And in a spiritual sense, that soil is Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting in an aside that Jesus Christ is called the root and the offspring of David. Think of being rooted in the root. The root going into the soil deeply. So that it can become strong and healthy as a tree. In the United States of America, you've got a tree called Methuselah. It's located in California. Now Methuselah lived who was 969 years of age. And this tree is even older. Because this tree, we're told, is 4,600 years old. 
California in a place near Death Valley. It's a pine tree. And there it is, living all this time. The roots must be very deep. They must be very healthy. And you see, these Colossian believers, remember they're under attack. They're facing heresy, false teachers. They're facing temptation to quit. They're facing trials and troubles. And what do they need? They need special words of knowledge, dreams and visions. Do they need angels? No, you need your roots that are deep and firmly planted in the soil, which is Christ Jesus. Remember, he's saying, you have been firmly rooted in him. There's the first if we call it a side point, firmly rooted, once and for all. You see, real true religion is about being firmly rooted in Christ, one with him, and in an organic union with him. And as I said, the tense of the Greek is once and for all. It's a completed action. It's a past action. You're not a tumbleweed. You're not a transplant that's just been tucked on or stuck on with some sort of tape. No, you're a tree and you have been firmly rooted in him. And all you need, you, you draw from him every supply, your strength and stability, your security. See, Paul is showing what walking with Christ means. You are rooted in him. You are in a vital, saving, organic union with Christ. That is, you're implanted. And all the sap and the greenery, your, your very life, it all depends on him. And you know, the reality is, God is the cause of that life. You see, this word planted, we could really call it as a, as a verbal adverb. And it's modifying the main verb, which is walk. And God is the cause. This is not something that we do in ourselves. God is at work. God is acting. God is keeping. God is applying. God is causing us to be firmly rooted in him. That's the point. Not only are we firmly rooted, but we're fruitfully rooted. If he's the soil and we're in living union with him, then we will bear fruit. And we will be able to withstand all the storms that blow against it. And we will endure times of hardness. And even in times of drought, because of the roots that are deep in the soil, roots that are hidden from view. You see, without the roots, the tree would die, the tree would fall over. You think of the storms of life that come against you, but you're in Christ. And how can you withstand that? How can you be fruitful even in the storms? How can you have faith in God and maintain love to him even when terrible things happen? Well, well, because you've been firmly rooted and therefore you're, you're fruitful. Because of the roots, we show forth and display fruit. You think of the state of our hearts and minds before God. Those roots are hidden out of view. There's many things in the Christian life that are hidden out of view. 
We can't see actually into our hearts. We can't see into our mind. But by our hearts and minds, we, we spend time alone with him. By our hearts and minds, we, we love him. If you turn over there to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17, it, it says a, a tremendous statement in Paul's uh, prayer uh, for the church at Ephesus that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Think of that word, rooted in love. Rooted in the one who is the infinite source of our life. The one who is sufficient, the one who provides for us. The one to whom we can spend time alone with in prayer and the word. The one who's provided a full and free and forever salvation. You see, how do you walk in Christ? To walk in Christ means being rooted in him. Firmly rooted once and for all. But fruitly rooted because all you need is derived from him. And, 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 and faithfully rooted. Even to the point where you flourish. If you look at our text again, there's something else. There's an agricultural aspect to the picture. But there's also an architectural aspect to the picture. Look at the words in verse 7. Rooted and built up in him. You see, here's another lesson. Here's another metaphor. To walk with Jesus Christ, the Lord, means being built up in him. Here's the second participle. I want you to notice that he changes the metaphor here. Why? Well, I'm not really sure. I could venture a guess. And my guess would be this, and this is the guess of the commentators. I want you to think of a building under construction. You see, when you think of a building under construction, you can see and witness the sudden dramatic change. If I planted an apple tree in, in the garden of the church manse or planted an apple tree in any of the green areas here, you wouldn't see growth for a long time. But with a building, you can see sudden and dramatic change. You're driving past and you see a foundation one day. Then the next day, the footings and the walls. Then the next day, you, you, you see openings for windows. You see the roof going on. You see a fleet of vans there eventually after the roof's on. You've got electricians, plumbers, joiners, uh, landscapers, painters, etc. You see the change. It's all happening very quickly. It's not just gradual now. It's not just imperceptible. It's, it's like an abrupt and, and sudden change. And you see this word, being built up in him, is what we call a, a present participle. It indicates steady progress towards completion. So you're getting the picture of a building under construction. And you can watch it. You can see the progress. And it's evident. It's dramatic. And under time, you'll be asking yourself as you drive past or walk past, wonder what the builders did this week. And of course, then there's the finishing that's essential for the building. The wiring, the plumbing, the painting, the decorating, etc. And you see, when we walk with the Lord, we're in Christ. Because we're in an organic union with him, you can see the obvious change that others can see. You can see the evidence. And it's very substantial. Because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. And the man in Christ, you can hear his conversation. And he's no longer cursing and swearing and blaspheming. And it's now good and wholesome words. And you can 
think about his conduct. The places that he now goes to. He's no longer going to the pub and consuming alcohol and getting himself drunk. He's now coming out to the house of God. He's a love for Christ. He's a love for the word of God. He's a love for the place of prayer. He wants to talk about the Lord. Because he's, he's the Lord's planting. He's now a tree of righteousness. Not a tree of recklessness. A tree of righteousness. You see, if we think of ourselves as a building, there's an ongoing work whereby we're being constructed. We're really a work in progress. And, 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 and that's what that present passive participle is all about. It's speaking here of increase. The size of the building, the shape, the style, the beauty, the structure. I know if we think of ourselves as a building, God is building us up in Christ. And how did it start? The moment we were brought into Christ, there was a change took place. Conversation and conduct and lifestyle was all uh, impacted. And if we could see ourselves that we're being changed, that we're being increased because of our connection with Christ, where we've been shaped almost like a, a finished building. And the Lord's at work. And he's even at work in areas that are not seen. In areas that are not just so dramatic, but are also necessary. Do you know one of the things that we have to learn as we journey through life is to trust him despite our trembling. Think of the little things. Think of the daily things. We struggle with a particular lust. We've got to learn to put that lust to death and mortify the members of our body. You think of a, a murmuring, grumbling spirit. How many murmur and grumble at little things, even silly things, and they get all upset. Think of a vile temper. You may be under stress, pressure of circumstances and situations. Maybe you're like me, often pushed for time, and you, you hate being messed about, and, and, and you get impatient, and, and then you can say things that are rash. Or what about having a mean spirit? What about a forgiving spirit? What about a spirit of pride where we're all puffed up? Well, you see, there's an ongoing work to deal with these things. It's called progressive sanctification. And when we see these things in our lives, then we need to confess them, recognize them. We need to repudiate them, and we need to repent of them and ask the Lord to forgive us. It's not exactly what John says there in uh, John, um, 1 John chapter 1 uh, and verses um, 7 to nine. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Remember, we've been built upon Christ. Christ is the foundation. Remember that. You're in Christ. You're, 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 you're being built in him. Isn't this what Paul was emphasizing whenever he said and 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11, he says, verse 10, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. But Christ is not only the foundation, folks, in this building. Christ is fashioning us. And how are we fashioned? We're fashioned according to the word of God. Isn't this what Paul emphasized if we think about the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 and verse 32? Let me just read the verse 
Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, this is what he said. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, who is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. You see, the word of his grace is able to build us up. In other words, the word of God is the blueprint. So therefore, we must take time to read the book. We must learn the book. We must live by the book. But in order to learn the book and live by it, we've got to lift it up. We've got to take it into our hearts and minds. We've got to meditate upon it. Remembering our complete trust is in Christ. He is sufficient to meet our need. Do we see him today as one who is all sufficient? Do we see him today as one who supplies our every need? One who is absolutely sovereign, the head of the church. One who is our saviour. The one who hears our prayers. The one who works and acts on our behalf. The one who guides us and directs us on the journey. Remember Paul again says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. He said, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bowing the knee to the Father on behalf of the Ephesian church. To what end? Well, he tells them there in that lovely portion that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the depth, and love and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, it's not just about you saying, well, I love the Savior. That's important. And we all have a responsibility and a duty to uh, love him better and to love him in a greater way and to know him in a far deeper manner. But you see, oftentimes we focus on our love for him and that's right and proper that we do. But over and above that, let's think of his love for us. Remember Paul said, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And you see, he this morning says to us, I love you even when we're in a bad mood. Even when we've sinned against him. Even when we're not actually pleasing him by way of duty. If we're stricken with illness. Terminal disease. He comes alongside and says the same thing. In the loss of a job. What on earth is happening? Why has this befallen me, Lord? When we have failed him and denied him through some particular lust that we've succumbed to. He comes and he tells us. I love you this much. Isn't that wonderful assurance? Isn't that tremendous when we think of this architectural aspect to the building that we're being built up in him? And he's not only the foundation, but he's at work fashioning us to bring us to completion, changing us into his image so we can be like him. I want you to think something else and I'll be very, very brief here. There's also an attorney aspect to this picture. You see, if you think of the words here in verse 7, it says, established in the faith. You see, the word the faith could be your faith subjectively in Christ. That's the act of faith, trusting in him. But it also could refer to established in the faith. That is the faith objectively. 
That is the body of doctrine that's been set forth, all connected to the personal work of Christ, that's necessary for us to believe in his truthful propositions and us to, to rest in Christ. You see the word established there? It's a legal term. It has to do with the law firm. And it means confirmed. It means guaranteed. It means to make irrevocable. You, you think of a will. And that will's been written by a solicitor. And it's got his stamp on it. That means that that will has been established in law. It's now irrevocable. Unless the person who made the will comes back to the solicitor and said, I want to change my will, it won't be changed. And if he dies or she dies, well, that will will be guaranteed. It will be confirmed. It's irrevocable at that point. Isn't it wonderful that to, to walk in Christ the Lord means that we're established in the faith? That we have grown assurance that as we gain, we grow to understand the great irreversible, the great irrevocable truths of the Lord and his word, all connected to the personal work of Christ. You think of one area, Christ and his promises. We could think of many areas this morning. We haven't time. Christ and his passion, his Christ and his person, his purity, his passion. We haven't time to go into all that. But you think of Christ and his promises. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, for all the promises of God in him are yea and amen. And you can learn the promises. Do you know what? You can also lean in the promise. Because they're all guaranteed in Christ. They're all confirmed. They're all irrevocable. And you can grow in your knowledge of him through leaning in the promise. Not only by way of intellect, but also by way of experience. And that's maybe the best way to learn experience I prayed and the Lord answered prayer I trusted in him and the Lord worked it out remember Proverbs 3 and it says in verse uh, 5 and 6 trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not in thine own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths and you see great men in the past like Abraham Lyle they learned to trust despite the trembling the factory's going to go bust. The workers will be put out on the street. But we'll trust the Lord. The Lord will help us. The Lord's our helper. And not only grow in, in this way, but, but also grow in our understanding of, of a spiritual and special doctrine. Gee, you think of the doctrine of the Trinity. Think of the doctrine of the eternal sonship in Christ. Think of Christ's sinless life, his virgin birth, his atoning death, his bodily resurrection. If we're established in the faith and we realize that the faith has been confirmed to us and it's irrevocable and irreversible, then that protects us against false teaching and false doctrine. For when somebody comes to present another Christ and another gospel, we see them for what they are. He adds these words, as ye have been taught. You see, they were trusting in this truth. But they were also treasuring the truth. They could take the irrevocable will all the way to the bank. They didn't need clever visions. They didn't need dreams or angels. They didn't need any additional doctrine. They had Christ. 
Isn't it tragic this morning? You meet people, and I met one just a few days ago, and he, he told me, I used to believe in church. I used to go hear the gospel, but I've grown out of it. I don't believe all that simplistic stuff now about Jesus and, and all those miracles. I've become of age. I've become a grown-up. And you see, I've said to that person, but you've got a spiritual problem. And the problem is this, your heart's not right. You've been moved away from the simplicity of Christ. You've not been edified. You, you, you weren't established in the faith. I want to leave a final thing, and it's now a quarter to There's an abounding aspect to this picture. Look at the last present parable. Abounding therein with thanksgiving. Therein is a reference to Christ and the faith of Christ. As it's been revealed, the apostolic doctrine. Overflowing with thanksgiving. You've got to think of a river. And you've got to think of the river overflowing its banks. And here's too much water coming down of the mountainside and flowing into the valley. And, and the river isn't wide enough or deep enough to contain it. And it floods out into the surrounding countryside. Can we not give thanks to the Lord for all he has done? Does, does Christ overflowing abundance not impact upon us? Abounding therein, in Christ and in the gospel with thanksgiving. Oh, we grumble, we complain, we murmur about little things. But let's catch sight of all the Lord has done for us. Physically, mentally, emotionally, materially, spiritually. Especially focusing on the wonder of his great salvation. The abundance of his grace. You, you think of this as we finish. A couple that's married. How long have you been married? If you are married. And... In the marriage contract, you're brought together into a union one with another. But over time in that union, you grow in your love. You're infatuated with each other. You tolerate each other. You can't be without each other. You feel you need each other. And you see, that's the point of Paul. Even if love is cooled, and you're into the routine. You need to spend time with each other. Talk to each other. And that's the same with Christ. If our love for him is cooled, then we need to spend time at his feet. We need to pray to him. We need to meditate on him. His beauty, his grace, his wonder. Meditate on all that he's done. Let there be a time of flowing in our hearts. And I say this as I finish. And I shared this with Bobby Graham and if Bobby's listening, God bless you. It says this, Psalm 92, verse 12. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. Fruitful in old age. Why? Because they've grown in love one with another. And what is true physically in marriage is true in relation to Christ. There's an overflowing aspect to the picture. Here's the picture that Paul reinforced. Here's how to walk in him. There's an agricultural. There is an architectural. There's an attorney. 
but an abounding aspect to that picture. So walk in him. Let's learn to do likewise. Now our time is gone. We're not going to sing the closing hymn. We'll just have a wee prayer together. Lord, just overrule even as far as time is concerned this morning. We pray you'll take your word and you'll write it on our heart. Help us to learn from it and help us to live by it. Teach us what it means so to walk in him. We pray now you'll part us in your fear and in your favor. We pray, Lord, you'll grant us the love of thyself, the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the communion of the Holy Spirit to be upon us, both now and evermore. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you this morning. We had a lot of announcements.